0: I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear That, that democracy
1: is precious There are friends and family members who have advised me not to come to the inauguration I, I thought it's too important to be sitting in my apartment Democracy has prevailed Congratulations, Mr. Thank President <laughs> What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters Every week, right here, right now Debrief. Welcome into the Debrief. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. When a violent mob of Trump supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol, News for New York had a crew on the scene as the terror unfolded. And when security ramped up for the inauguration of Joe Biden and law enforcement braced for more possible violence... News 4 was on the ground in D.C. again. Joe Biden, sworn in
0: as the 46th president, president, ending a tumultuous era exactly two weeks after a riotous attack on the Capitol. Regular
2: traffic blocked. 25,000 members of the National Guard on high alert. I'm glad to hear. they here to make sure nothing happened. No
0: more storming the Capitol. Join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury.
1: Today on The Debrief, we talk to two of our veteran reporters who have had a front row seat to this historic moment in D.C. as we take you behind the scenes of an inauguration and an assignment unlike any other. It is my pleasure to bring into this conversation my colleague, News 4 reporter Andrew Siff. He's been covering the news in New York City for 30 years. He has had assignments in D.C. Uh, so many times over and over, but nothing quite like this, I'd imagine, Andrew. And, and let's start there with, with what your first impression was when you got to this inauguration, which had turned into an armed camp in D.C.
0: Right. Uh, great to be with you, Adam. Our first impression, my first impression this week was never seen Washington like this. What they basically did was close off any possible route to the White House and to the Capitol and to other targets they didn't disclose. So we're talking about before Google Maps, if you had a hand printed Rand McNally map of Washington, there's always about 50 different ways you could walk to the Capitol. You know, you could make a left on K and go north on seventh and do all this other stuff. All of them were sealed off. There was no, like, secret way that they didn't think of closing down. And this mostly impacted vehicles. And as you know, we carry a lot of big, heavy equipment. So one of the first things we had to figure out was how to travel light to get anywhere we were going down here to cover the inauguration, to talk to lawmakers, to talk to people. So uh, with the the crew I'm down here with, we've done an awful lot of walking because these checkpoints don't stop you from walking or even jogging. Uh, But they're designed to stop vehicles. And so that the first thing we noticed was this is going to change getting around and it
1: has this whole week. Yes, you got your steps in, and you've been reporting from the scene of the inauguration for days now. And I, I thought this was interesting. When I was down there two weeks ago at the Capitol, we were not prepared. Law enforcement was not prepared for the riotous, violent mob that attacked the Capitol. But because of that, the preparation for this assignment was vastly different. What is something from the preparation that you think people might find interesting or, or maybe something unusual that even with all your DC assignments you had never had to do before?
0: In terms of our preparation, in terms of what we had to do, well, uh, you know, there's, there's two layers. There's, first of all, the pandemic preparation, because remember, we're, we're not even up on one year uh, until around March 1st. And so this is the first event where there's nowhere to sort of go and gather inside. You take so much for granted, whether it's the social aspect of a news assignment where you sit down at a restaurant for dinner to plan your next day's assignment, or whether you just have a meeting with people you're going to be talking to or interviewing these, the indoor gathering has disappeared. So part of, part of what has changed is just standing outside and, Using your phone to Zoom with people just for the logistics, the way we've all been doing through the pandemic. So some of it has been the pandemic change. The other thing is just the security, the eyes and ears, the we call it the second man uh, with the crew, having a body, the situational awareness to watch what's going on around you. And that's been something you never really had to think about when you were in Washington before on a political assignment.
1: Andrew, one of the things that you reported about that struck me was there was a a New Yorker, a grad student from Columbia... Uh, who was part of a really small crowd that had gathered for the inauguration outside a, a secure perimeter. Uh, how, how, how small were the crowds? Because obviously people were encouraged not to go. And then yet there was a, a few, you know, smatterings here and there of folks that came out. Um, what did you learn from talking to him? And and give me a sense of how many people actually did show up.
0: What was interesting about talking to him and he was wearing a hat uh, in honor of Kamala Harris being elected a vice president being sworn in as vice president. What was interesting talking to him and a few others who were out just outside the security perimeter was people felt this compelling need to somehow share the inauguration with other folks.
1: I just want to be as close as you possibly can to just welcome in a new era. I I felt this was too important to be sitting in my apartment.
0: If you think back to uh, President Obama's inauguration, President Trump's inauguration a a couple of years ago. Most inaugurations, there is a communal sharing aspect of things, crowds. uh, It's like going to a parade. It's like going to a rally. It's like going to a march. And because of the pandemic and security, people weren't able to do that. And yet they were in smaller groups. And so what we found from that gentleman that you referenced, this grad student at Columbia, he he just said, "I, I had to be outside. I had to hear it i had to see it and so what he was hearing and seeing was off of his device but so were other people and then he he didn't mind so much that he was watching a police checkpoint but but live watching the inaugural address on his phone you sort of get that there's still something about sharing it it's sort of akin to the to the pandemic clap in new york city that that lasted for a couple of months at 7 p.m it was Uh, What made that so powerful was that other people were doing it, too. So here again, you had folks from New York standing there in D.C. attending the inauguration, not really, but in some way sharing that sort of communal aspect of it.
1: And then inside the security perimeter, we, of course, saw the some invited guests and then members of Congress. And you spoke to Richie Torres, the freshman uh, from the Bronx. And I thought that was fascinating, too, to hear him say that there were people in his family who warned him, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. What? what um, and he made the decision, though, despite that, to be there anyway. Was that common, do you feel, among members of Congress that they felt like they were at risk being there?
0: I don't know. That I thought that was a pretty candid observation by the brand new Congressman Richie Torres. The, the idea that his friends and family were saying you shouldn't go. But it is interesting, you know, everyone I told I was gonna be in DC, they were you know, the, the posts on social media stay safe. And and the reason for that is, and you know this because of your trip when things were much more raw, that. January 6th changed a lot of things. Uh, It was a wake-up call about vulnerability, about violence, about extremism, about just the ways in which things can escalate. And I think the fact that a brand new member of Congress, who, by the way, doesn't have a security detail, you know, it's not like all 538 members of Congress get, uh, you know, some kind of security detail. They don't. (laughs) So part of it was... um, Boy, people are pretty exposed. And so I think that was that was eye opening on the part of uh, Congressman Torres. I think also this is just sort of what, some of what this security overlay has revealed since then. January 6th was just beyond unprepared, beyond. And it's hard to imagine something like that happening again. It's almost sort of like how everybody takes their shoes off at the airport now. And that's never changed since the the shoe bomber you know it's hard to imagine they'll ever in the near future be a time where the capital is just something that a group of people can approach
1: let's follow that path because i've been thinking about those comparisons a lot obviously so many differences between the 9-11 terror attack and the capital attack but there are some common threads that are worth considering and one of them is how much of the fear of this threat is temporary right and you 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 covered 911 you witnessed it and and then many years after you can see what what is still uh, apparent and then how much is dissipated do how, do, you, do you believe that political events for the foreseeable future are going to be locked down uh, to, to some extent even if it's not to the extent of the inauguration
0: I do. Because it, it, I would I would compare it to the bollards in Times Square on having nothing to do with 9-11. Uh, remember the, the guy that uh, drove up onto the side. Of course, right? yeah, yeah. So the bollards are not only in Times Square, there are dozens and dozens of locations all over New York City. They have this idea of a vehicle as a weapon. It was a, a vulnerability that was newly exposed and it changed the foreseeable future. I think this... January 6th incident, uh, made clear what happens when a force is outnumbered, like the Capitol police were, um, vulnerabilities, entrances, the way crowds move. Um, and I do, I do see that. I do see that lasting for the foreseeable future, and maybe it'll become much more streamlined in sort of the same way using that bollard, uh, Analogy, You know, they've made that originally there are these huge concrete blocks. Right. And now they're sort of delicate looking metal stanchions that you don't realize they carry so much weight underneath. It's impossible to move. them, Right. So the idea here might be maybe it's not going to look so military, but there will be strategic ways to make D.C. harder to infiltrate.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, over time, you can find a way to make it less intimidating. Uh, Yet the inauguration, I don't know how you felt being there in person, but from watching the coverage on television, uh, there were so many times where I just felt profoundly sad because of you, you couldn't ignore the fact that this was a necessary show of force, necessary security to make this inauguration go off without a hitch. And, it, and I, I just couldn't get that out of my head. What was, was it like that in person?
0: Totally, it's a weird disconnect to have that kind of security and then nobody there anyway. It, 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 the fact that there were no crowds because of the pandemic and then a lockdown to keep those non-existent crowds away was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a sad aspect of things. But on the other hand, the ceremony itself still took place. The speeches still took place. The songs still took place. The poems still took place. And that kind of ritual, take the politics out of it, that kind of ritual, ritual still so important that it was uh, quite an achievement that it was able to happen.
1: Right, and that's where the guardrails held up, even with all the force and all the forces against it. um, That's, Joe Biden said it, democracy did prevail in
0: the end. Right. Exactly. And and he said it not just to to VIP Democrats, but to VIP Republicans who are sitting right there, too, wearing masks, by the way, which was another important symbol, which uh, will lead into. I'm sure I'm sure when we appear uh, when we chat in a couple of weeks, uh, the pandemic will be back, top, front and center.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's that's the other thing about it. Well, it is the top priority of this administration. That's for sure. We've seen that uh, right away. We've learned that from your reporting. And Andrew, uh, we're out of time, but we appreciate you keeping us up to date with everything going on in D.C. Keep up the great work. And thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm really pleased to welcome in now one of my great colleagues, longtime reporter in New York City, 35 years of experience, our investigative reporter Sarah Wallace joining us from D.C. right now. And and Sarah, uh, I know you've covered so many huge stories in your career, including, of course, the 9-11 terror attacks. You've racked up 19 Emmy Awards. You've really seen it all. And yet, uh, let's start with this assignment brought you to an unusual and unprecedented event. What was your first initial reaction when you got to D.C. and you saw this scene for an inauguration like we've never seen before?
2: Well, first of all, Adam, if you hear my voice is a little froggy because it has been a very long couple of days. My feeling was that it was a little overwhelming. Everywhere you looked, it was security. There were checkpoints, the train station, the union train station that normally would be packed on a Monday night with pre-inaugural people coming in was absolutely empty except for us and security. National Guard people coming in all over the place, the supply trucks to support them. It was a little bit scary because we didn't know what was going to happen. And the unknown is always a little bit scary, frankly. But I did feel in the sense that because it was so overwhelming, I did feel secure. And I think that is the sense that everybody got. And I did talk to some people out on the street in the past couple of days. And I said, you know, is this intensity, does it make you feel more secure or is it a little bit intimidating and to the one Everybody said it just made them feel safer.
1: They just felt it was necessary, you know, and, and that makes sense after two weeks ago, because, Sarah, you've, you it's significant when you of all people say, yeah, it was a little scary because you're so undaunted by all these situations that were thrown into as reporters. And you know, I've seen you cover everything. And to hear you say that, I think, is really significant. And it speaks to what happened two weeks ago in that exact same spot.
2: Well, exactly. And Adam, you know, because you were here. And I think it's always the unknown. You know, when we've covered protests or, for instance, when I covered the Crown Heights riots in 1991 in New York City, we kind of knew exactly what we were getting into. There were riot police all over the 71st precinct and all over the streets. When I went to Israel before the Gulf War, I knew that Saddam Hussein might level Scud missiles At Israel, which he did, but we were at least prepared mentally. I think, you know, when you were here, we weren't prepared and nobody was prepared. And we saw those images. And that's why that was so visceral for us to have seen what we did two weeks ago
1: and law enforcement of all uh, of all the folks out there was seemed to be the least prepared which was the most shocking to Eddie Alonzo my photographer who has covered just like you he's been to the middle east he's been in, in, in war scenarios he has been with me here at many protests at 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 horrible tragic events and we both said to ourselves i i can't believe that there isn't a bigger police presence. And obviously you saw the exact opposite on the streets of DC. As soon as you got in that, that stunning image of, of union station that you took us to on news for was, was fantastic. Um, was there any other moment where you even after, you know, everything you've seen, you got a second to just pause and say, I, I can't believe what I'm witnessing firsthand.
2: Absolutely. The other night we were walking around streets just to get some nighttime shots and Everything was empty. It was desolate, as I described. And we happened to be near the Senate entrance opposite Union Station. You know, that kind of there's a roundabout right there. And all of a sudden, we saw some National Guard troops moving up the street in precision marching together. And they were all in riot gear. And we thought, oh, gee, there's just going to be a few of them. And then all of a sudden, there were more and more and more of them in full riot gear. And it was just a moment. And we thought, oh, my gosh, this is real. This is happening in advance of the inauguration. And it did take my breath away.
1: Sarah, in your I-team reporting, we've seen so many great stories where you're able to give us an inside look at the way law enforcement feels in so many different scenarios in in this story. I know it's difficult certainly to get anyone on camera, uh, whether it's the national guard or the Capitol police now, after what they went through, but, but in your time in DC, um, was there any sense from the people there protecting the Capitol, protecting the inauguration of, of how they felt about the situation?
2: I did talk to a couple. I talked to some national guardsmen and I did talk to a couple of Capitol police officers. Honestly, I think they feel a little overwhelmed. They are proud to be doing what they did. But, you know, they're human, just like us. I talked to a Capitol Police officer. He is on a 12 to 16 hour shift. And that has been the case since last week, the week before this all happened. They're tired. You know, they're feeling a little stressed out, just like we are. But I think that they also felt this commitment to that they needed to protect everybody. And to the one, that's what they said. They wanted to be here because they wanted to make sure that everybody was safe.
1: I'm wondering how you felt about something that I, I had never really experienced before until this year. And then uh, it was heightened, of course, when I was there two weeks ago at the Capitol with the uh, the, the, the mob that rioted the Capitol who was so not only anti Uh, the government, but they were so angry at the media, we had become the enemy to them. Did you feel at all like a target? And have you felt that way reporting uh, at events like this recently?
2: I thought if the I thought if things happened, that we definitely would be a target. And we talked about that before we went. We talked about it with security. And just so everybody knows, you know, NBC was very committed to making sure that we stayed safe out in the field. We actually had gas masks. We had helmets and we had a security detail. And we also knew that if something happened, that that was an exit strategy. There was no going to stay in there, march up the Capitol steps to try and get these guys coming in. But frankly, they weren't going to get anywhere near the Capitol. But, you know, if things happened on the streets around the Capitol, I felt that we were prepared and we could get out if we needed to. And yes, absolutely. Do I feel that we are often a target now increasingly? Yes, but you know, listen, that's been the case for a very long time. I go back to the Crown Heights riots. The tensions were very high in the city racially. And we were a target on both sides by people who thought we were maybe, you know, pro the other side. And so we ended up getting a lot of hostility then, and that's happened over the years. And that's just one thing that you're aware of as a reporter. But then you are always cautious. You always have your head on a swivel, and you always need to know what may come that you didn't expect.
1: I feel like you have a, g- a good sense for um, what may come, what, what, we, what we may learn from this. But uh, this is something I've been thinking about, and I just wanted to get your take. After 9 11, we saw security change for everyone in their lives, daily lives, airports, big events, large gatherings. Um, you know, if you go to a, a football game or a concert, it's it's never been the same since 9-11. Do you anticipate some of the security that you've been seeing at the inauguration? Obviously, that's a heightened amount. But do you anticipate because of the Capitol attack that everyday Americans will feel a difference when there are political themed events or news media gathering in certain places. Or do you think this might be more temporary than the reaction to 9-11?
2: I think this is going to be temporary. I I believe that for a while there is going to be more concentrated security around the Capitol. And obviously they're going to change some of the protocols. But I think that the feeling right now is already ramped down. I think that people are feeling a different sense, even in the Capitol. You know, we went out and have seen concrete barriers come down, the streets opening up. I think there is just this sense of lightening up that doesn't take away that when there are protests down the road and political conventions, as we've seen before, that there aren't going to be outliers and these activists and the agitators who create chaos. I mean, we have to be aware of that. That's always going to happen. But I don't think there is the same feeling after 9-11 that we lived with this sense of kind of terror could be around the corner at any moment. And that lasted a while. I don't see that happening here.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we've already seen that through your reporting and the rest of the reporting from our News 4 team. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're still out there in D.C. And uh, good luck to you and stay safe. We appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, Adam, always. And you did a great job when you were here.
1: a big thanks to all of you for listening and thank you to our production team Melissa Mack Darren Price and Ben Berkowitz I'm your host Adam Cooperstein in for David Ushery we'll check back with you next time on the debrief